There we go. Just like that. I mean, as I thought the uh, intro lasted a little longer. It worked better the first, uh, first service, but hey, that's how we rolled them out. Well, good morning. Listen, it's actually ironic that this is happening this morning because of what we're talking about today. How many of you guys would say that you're just tired? Yes, yes. Even funnier, today is Family Sunday, so in case you haven't noticed, we have our students and our children in here today. And we do that because we want them to be aware of what it's going to be like whenever student ministry and children's ministry is not available for them. Let me explain that. You see, being the student ministry, I'm allowed to say it, okay? Children's ministry and student ministry are not meant to be babysitting services. The discipleship that we do there is meant to prepare them for the discipleship in here. Because the lessons that you need to be taught as far as the adults may not go directly with what the children need to hear, but the information may be different, but the meaning doesn't change. They have to learn the exact same things that you do. And so when we open up these uh, family Sundays, the purpose is for them to be aware of what it's going to be like, what it's going to look like, what it's going to necessarily feel like. So when we say we want you to worship together, that's the purpose. And even funnier, as parents, when I ask the question, are you tired? The answer is always yes. No matter what, am I right? You see, my daughter's two, and she's obsessed with Paw Patrol. I'm sure I've said that. My mom this past week actually had to come up and spend a couple of days with us to help us out a little bit. And she ordered her a pair of Paw Patrol pajamas that had a cape on the back. But little did she know what nightmare this was going to be for me because the child will not get out of them. I haven't had this happen yet. I'm sure you guys as parents have experienced this, the one outfit that always has to be available. The problem is that she's really snotty right now. And the kids don't know to blow their nose, so it goes like this. And so when you think that they actually, that they may, may have dunked their arms in water, it's actually just snot and sneeze. So to wake up a child and then to say, hey, we need to wash your pajamas, all I hear is, but what about my tape? Her cape. And I say, well, maybe we can put that over here. So I had to tape the cape on her shirt just long enough for me to wash the pajamas. So I call my mom and say, hey, mom, get another pair of pajamas. This has to happen today. She woke up this morning. This is all a lead in. Stay with me, okay? I woke up this morning at five o'clock to her saying over the monitor, I need to wear it in complete hysteria eyes are crying, she's coughing like crazy, and all because she didn't have her cape on. So at five o'clock, I walk in there, I'm like, baby, it's way too early. Let's go back to sleep. Luckily, she was tired enough, she dozed back off. 6.30 rolls around, guess what I woke up to? Complete hysteria, I need to wear it. We know the moments in our life where we are absolutely exhausted, where we're tired. Maybe we don't even know why we're tired. We can put together like 10 different reasons to, that would attribute to it, but one specific reason doesn't exist. We're getting plenty of sleep, but we're not getting rest. We don't feel too busy, and yet we feel ridiculously busy. So that tells you that it may not be your body that's tired, but something inside of you is tired. And that thing we're going to talk about is the soul. Can you say soul? In, in school right now, one of the things that I've absolutely loved learning about was the difference between the brain and the soul. 
And for a long time, and maybe today might be the first time you hear, heard it, but the brain and the soul are two different things. They're not synonymous. Why? You can take a brain out and you can measure it. You can strap different things of technology that are way smarter than I could ever know, and probably I couldn't even pronounce them. And they could tell you where something hurts. It can tell you where something is firing. It can tell you whenever you're happy. It can tell you whenever you're feeling sad. You can know every intricate part of the brain. And yet, even though the thing could tell me what or when I'm happy, it couldn't tell me why I'm happy. Does that make sense? So it can fire and say, oh, Philip's feeling good today. But little do they know what's making me feel good. And odds are it's probably cold brew trying to keep me awake. But on the flip side, it's the same thing with sadness. Oh, well, Philip's feeling sad today. Well, why? You can't measure that. So that tells you, just, that's just one quick example of what it means that the brain and the soul are different. That's where we get morality. The brain doesn't learn it. It's built inside of you from a creator to tell you what morality is, what makes things good, what makes things bad. So whenever we talk about the soul, the only way that we can feed it or nourish it or make it less tired is not by anything material. There's not enough TV to make the soul happy. There's not enough food to make the soul happy. There's not enough uh, anything material that, 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 that you could possibly consume because the soul is immaterial. It can't be fed through these things. I'm reading a book right now, or actually I'm finishing up, by a guy named Lee Strobel. I'm sure you've heard of him. And it's called The Case for Heaven. Lee has had a, a, a near-death experience, and he set out on this journey to learn what it was like in the afterlife. Is there an afterlife. Now, he's obviously a big-time apologetic. He's a big-time Christian. So he knew, at least his presumption was that he knew that there was an afterlife, but what did it look like? What did it consist of? Not only that, what evidence do we have for an afterlife? Is there just biblical? Is there non-biblical? But he says this about the soul, and there's a great chapter on the difference between the soul and the brain. And he says this, the soul is considered to be the seat of our consciousness, the locus of our introspection, Volition, emotions, desires, memories, perceptions, and beliefs. And you can't measure any single one of those things. The soul is the very existence of you. It's your ness, your N-E-S-S. It's who you are on the inside. The soul is a thing that you can't explain, but you know it's there in some way. A couple sentences down in the same chapter, a guy named Paul Copen, who's a big-time theologian, he says, when we speak of the soul, we speak of our essential core. You see, following these quotes, it's no wonder that if we're feeling tired and if we're feeling exhausted, if it really is our soul that's tired and exhausted, yeah, we're going to be tired. Because if the soul is as, is as important as I just mentioned to these quotes, if it's something that I can't measure, I can't attain, I can't even hold, it's no wonder you're tired. And if I'm being honest, this sermon was written for me. We, as we, we sometimes, and, and whenever I was a kid, we sometimes, we get the perception that the person speaking on stage has it perfected, meaning whatever, we are, whatever it is that we're talking about today. And I'm here to tell you, we don't. I don't. I'm exhausted today. I've been exhausted for the past month, it feels like. I told you that we got COVID back in December, and it seems like ever since December 1st, all the way through today, I, you, I'm tired. And I'm getting sleep, getting rest, but sometimes you can't prevent them. 
Sometimes you can't change them. So whenever you think that the person speaking on stage has gotten it figured out, I promise you, I don't. But what I can tell you is that people like Dave, Joel, myself, and anybody else that may speak to you is that we're people who are trying. And we're working through it with you. That's the goal. That's the part of the Christian life of working together in one. And our soul is something that has to be taken care of. Has to be. Now, there's a thing called stimulation overload. Anybody with me on that? Let me put it into perspective here. My daughter was born in August. Christmas came around December 25th. You know the date, right? So I've told my, my mom and Julie's mom for her first Christmas and her first birthday, and honestly, probably through this year, don't buy her a ton of stuff. We have enough. But that first Christmas, grandparents, us as parents know you do not care what we have to say. We know it. But we're going to say it to help us out, okay? I said, don't buy a bunch of stuff. She's, she's only a few months old. She's not going to get it. Christmas Day, it was like a straight-up two-year-old rave in my house. The kids are, pu- are turning on every single electronic. They're lighting up all the lights. If we had a fog machine, she would be in that. All the sounds were on. If it didn't have batteries, daddy better have batteries. Anybody with me? That's the idea that a kid has stimulation overload when they have so much Their eyes are just wide, and they're trying to figure out, what can I break? And the answer by the end of the year is all of it. But we as people, as adults, even as students and even as children, we still do that today, but maybe not with flashing lights like that, but with Twitter, with Facebook, with the news, with politics in general. Maybe we do it with different things that we're trying to fill our soul with. Maybe it is relationships. Any type of information that we can grasp, we try so hard to get it. And here's the problem. The information that we're reading and that we're trying to figure out isn't guaranteed to be truth. Am I right? What we read in the news two years ago seems a whole lot different today. The perception seems to have changed. Maybe the way that you treated somebody in the past, it seems a whole lot different now. And so now we're trying to take in all of this information in our life, and we're trying to form a worldview around information that may or may not be true. And it's wearing you out. If I'm being honest, I like the Browns. We've discussed this. And if you want to talk about negative interactions be on Brown's Twitter during the season. Heck, be in Brown's Twitter throughout the year. It's exhausting. And it got to the point a few years ago where I said, hey, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to change it. I created a Twitter. I'm an adult doing this, okay? Sorry. I created a Twitter called the Brown's Optimist. And my idea, don't laugh, my idea was that I was going to make tweets Every single time that I wanted to say something negative about the Browns, I was going to tweet something positive just to help myself. One week in, deleted it. I said, I can't do it. I can't do it. I tried twice. I had people trying to already bring me down, just be the Browns pessimist that quick. But that's the way that we treat things, right? We look online for our worldview and for our truth, and yet we're not guaranteed any of that. And yet we crave it, we need it. We feel like we can't move until we know what's happening, right? Because we want to be well-informed, but there's a difference between being well-informed and over-conformed. 
And the longer that we convince ourselves that being well-informed is the best route for us in our spiritual walk, the more empty we're going to feel, the more dry we're going to be, we're going to be because anything of this world can't fill you for the eternal. And the longer that we try, the more dry we will feel. And that means on any platform that gives you information. See, I told you about the Paw Patrol jammies. Well, my mom was not big into the Paw Patrol thing. Was not. So she had to learn everything. My mom, her memory has been great until she has to learn all the different things that my sister, my brother, and, my, and, and I did. But now she has two granddaughters. So now she's having to learn a whole new form. So no, it's no longer just Thomas the Tank Engine. Now it's Paw Patrol, Peppa Pig, you know what I'm saying? So my daughter was trying to explain to her what she wanted to watch on this technology. My mom couldn't figure out what she was trying to tell her to do. And my daughter got so frustrated. But my mom was able to Google Green Paw Patrol. And if you know who that is, that's Rocky. It's my favorite. But information is at the grasp of your hands. And so that means that we have to take a lot of responsibility in order to fulfill through that, maybe get through that, maybe what we need to do with the information. And hopefully that's what we're going to unpack today. Now, whenever I was in college uh, in 2009 through 2013, I drove three hours to Johnson, uh, which is Knoxville, Tennessee, and three hours back almost every single weekend. Don't ask me why. But I did it. I always wanted to come home, wanted to be with my family, uh, and, and there's a myriad of reasons. But a couple of times, actually probably more times than not, there were, there, I would get to whatever my destination was, and I couldn't tell you how I got there. You know what I'm saying? You've driven a drive so many times that you finally just like get numb to it, to where you've tried to drive it with your eyes closed. Maybe you were trying to fall asleep, but you could do it. Maybe you've got to the destination and you're like, I don't even know what happened on the journey because you just get so numb. Maybe you're so focused on something else in your life that that drive isn't even about getting from A to B. It's thinking about A.1, A.2, A.3, and then eventually you'll find B because you've done it, right? We somehow are so over-communicated and over-stimulated that we forget that the journey is also the most important aspect. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. Maybe I'm alone. Maybe I'm alone in that, but in Psalm 43, David says this. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Have you ever prayed a prayer so desperate? Have you ever prayed something so hard that you begged God that it would happen and it didn't seem unreasonable to you? Maybe you're just asking God to show up in your life, to show me something new about myself. Show me something different that I didn't know before. And so like, you're like, okay, God, like that, that's reasonable, right? But sometimes, more often than not, God's wanting you to get to your destination by yourself. Because through that, you'll know him better because you did it through your weakness and not your strength. So David's prayer is him saying, God, just hear me, listen to it in your faithfulness. But then he continues, for the enemy has pursued my soul. And listen to how tired David sounds. Listen to how exhausted he seems. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in the darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you 
like a parched land. See, in 1 Corinthians 10, we read that there is no temptation that has overcome you, meaning you can go over anything. But we try to apply that to every single life instance where, God, where it says that God will not give you more than what you can bear. And I agree, but we have to look at the context of that whole chapter. You see, there are days where we feel like we're walking that line of it being too much to bear, right? Like you quote that verse in your head, like, God, you said that there's no temptation that has overcome you except what is common to man, and he is faithful. He will not tempt me beyond what I can bear, but I feel like I'm, I'm like teetering and I'm falling the other way. I feel like I'm at that point. But if you read through it, he is, he's not talking about trials in life, in life, but temptations that you overcome. So that tells me that there are going to be times where you feel like you have fallen into the world of too much to bear. And the most beautiful part of scripture is you're still not alone. As a matter of fact, your weakness is where God wants you the most. Because any time that we try to react in life based off our strengths, based off what we can do, based on how we react, now we're going to get boastful and say, I did it once, I can do it again. I didn't need God. God wants to take the things in your life that wear you out, that make you exhausted, that make you feel like there's nothing else left, and he wants to say, you got through it because of me. Because if we ever rely on our strength 100%, we will fall 100%. Strength is not based off how strong we are. It's based how strong Christ was. And that same thing that died for you now lives inside of you in the form of the Holy Spirit. And that's what makes you strong enough. That's what makes you powerful enough. And I'll start on the cross. And that means, number one, sometimes your heart needs to head back home. The most scared I think I had ever been was a 22-year-old. I was on a flight to Australia. I touched down in Melbourne, Australia. I got off the plane and I said, what am I doing? It's like a 22-year-old man would. I picked up the phone. I paid $6 long distance to call my mommy and cry. Uh, Not joking. And my mom is like trying to keep it together because she's already freaking out that I'm in a different country. And I'm like, mom, I don't know what I'm doing here. And I just remember my mom saying, God led you there, he'll lead you through it. And I asked her later, like, hey, how did you really feel? She goes, I was about to freak out and get on a plane and come get you. <laughs> like, my mommy. But even throughout the three months that I was in Australia, I remember that I never felt uncomfortable in a bad way. I felt uncomfortable as in I was an American in a different country. I was doing all these different things. But it wasn't until I touched down back in the States that I realized what home really feels like. And home is when I saw who was just my girlfriend at the time, Julie. Uh, we weren't engaged, my mom and my dad. And I just remember being like, I'm home now. We're good. And maybe you feel the same way. Maybe you're like, you, you go from nine to five and you have your day job that you go, but then when you get home, you're able just to relax. You're able just to kind of let down your guard, maybe put on something more comfortable, fix your own dinner, hang out with your kids, whatever it is that you like to do. Home is where you are able to be yourself. Am I right? And that's why whenever somebody maybe like threatens to come to your house or whenever somebody maybe breaks into your house or breaks into your car or something, that's why you get so defensive is because home is where you are meant to be the most safe. And when that's taken from you, when that's put in jeopardy, now it's a little bit more personal where you have to take control of it, right? But home is where our heart needs to be sometimes. 
And our heart longs for that. But what's the best part? Our heart today, the home is heaven. Does that make sense? What we feel today, our home is meant to be with Christ. And that's the idea of the Spirit. See, we have a really bad habit of being distracted. We love it. We almost encourage it every single day. We love to go through our day, and we love to put anything in the path of doing it. I am number one example of being distracted all the time. I, I, I try. I work my best. Uh, but I usually have, if I'm doing homework, schoolwork, whatever it is, I am putting on a movie. I'm putting on The Office. I'm listening to music. I don't even pay attention to it, but it's there. So if I have 30 seconds to a minute, I'll go and I'll watch it. And then it's gotten to where I'm 31 years old. I'm like, hey, you could do better with schoolwork if you didn't have your distractions. And guess what? My mommy told me that. The teachers told me that. Julie has told me that. I'm pretty sure Everly comes in and says, hey, dad, shouldn't you turn that off? You know, we love to be distracted. If it's Twitter for a minute, if it's Facebook for a minute, if it's CNN or NBC, whatever it is for you, relationships, whatever, we like to take our minds off of the world to put it on something that we think that we can control. And yet the most uncomfortable thing about us as faith is if we look at things like thing called meditation. We think, well, other religions do that. We shouldn't do that. Well, then why is it, do we see so many examples of John the Baptist or David or Jesus going away by themselves to meditate with God, to be in oneness with God? Whenever Jesus was about to be arrested, where does he go? He goes to be by himself and to pray. That's not a one-time only thing. Block out distractions and we have to to meditate. We have to learn what it means to be in sync with God, to learn what, it, what it's like to be in peace. In Matthew chapter 6, we read this, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. What are you seeking today? What treasure is it that you're trying to store up for yourself? Is it some kind of promotion at work? Is it the perfect family life? Is it the perfect home? The perfect relationship? the perfect body. If we look for anything that to be perfected, we're wrong. Because the things that you are trying to store up for yourselves today are what your heart and what your mind are being filled up with as well. And if you're filling yourself up with, it, with things that are temporary, they're going to end a lot sooner than what you think. Something is always filling your brain. Even if you tell yourself that, that that's not consuming me, something is always going to fill your brain. The question is, what are you going to fill your brain with? What treasure are you going to allow yourself to consume? There's a story in Luke chapter 10 that I think sums it up well. It's with Mary and Martha. It's one of the first instances that we see of them. But Jesus is coming to town, and Mary and Martha are hearing about it. So now we have two different people. Pay attention to, to the difference of what they do here. Verse uh, 38, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So you have Martha, who is the homemaker. She's the hostess. Now you would say that if Jesus were coming to your house, you would probably want your house to look pretty clean, right? Think about it. Some of you people in here today, my wife being one of them, you want your house looking good even when no one's coming over. And before I got married, 
I would have been just fine with that. Who am I trying to impress? But then something changed. I got married. And now I find myself doing a lot of the cleaning as well. So I get it. And Martha wants to make the house look good. But Mary, the sister who lives there, obviously, is also there, but she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. So let's continue on with what she says here. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, why, do, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled with many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Martha, you're the one messing up here. You're worried about how the house looks, what things are happening right now. You're anxious about many things. Mary's just wanting to sit here and be in my presence. And don't we feel like we're Martha 90% of the time? Where we're trying to do this and we're trying to do that and we're worried about everything else except being at the feet of Jesus. Instead of living in the spirit, we're focused on making ourselves feel better, look better, be better. And God's like, you don't understand. I want you to just be with me. My daughter, uh, I talk a lot about her today, I'm sorry. But she, she grabbed a, a light bulb, a hot light bulb, couple, about a month or two ago. If we knew that we, there were things that we shouldn't do, you would do what Everly did and you would take your hand off even though it hurt, right? Right? We like to grab the light bulb and then just hold it there and say, God, I got it. I'm going to worry about this today. I'm going to let myself be in a bad mood. And so while our hand is being singed off by the light bulb, God's like, why don't you just let it go? And you're like, man, well, I think I got it. I'm thinking I'm good. Shouldn't we take the route that seems to be less difficult and tell ourselves that if, if it's just as easy as sitting here and resting, then why do we make it so difficult? See, Jesus gave us the Spirit, and yet we fail to utilize it. What we do is, is we take the Spirit, we take grace, we take mercy, we take forgiveness, we take this love, and he's placed it in a bank account. And what we do is we move it to a savings account, and we'll say, we'll come back for it another day. And that's the complete opposite of what we're called to do. Not only are we supposed to live in it, but we're supposed to share it. It's not meant to stay in a savings account. It's not meant to be there just for a, a, a comfort blanket for us to grab and say, oh, I need it today. Oh, I needed it yesterday. No, it's an everyday deposit and it never goes dry. He always replenishes it. So why do we think that we shouldn't live in it? We need to rest in his spirit. And as we get back home, once we get our hearts back home, now sometimes we need to take the theologian, Carrie Underwood's phrasing, Sometimes we need to let Jesus take the wheel. I'm, she's not really a theologian, for anybody who understands. But sometimes we just got to let go and let Jesus do his thing. You see, Asaph in Psalm 73, verse 16, he says this. When I tried to understand this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. You see, Asaph is having this inner dialogue with himself because he's frustrated that people who are not Christians, people who are the absolute opposite, are mocking God, they're living against God, they're doing everything wrong, and he says, and they're prospering and they're happy. So he's mad because they're not getting theirs. 
He's mad because they're not getting what they deserve, what God has promised. But he says again, and, and like we just read, it wasn't until I entered the sanctuary. It wasn't until he got into the presence, not when I talked, not when I said this. It wasn't until he entered the sanctuary of God that he actually began to understand. They're going to get their own. I can't worry about them. I have to worry about me. I have to worry about what's going on in my life. I have to worry about this today. See, as followers of Christ, our job is not to tell others what they're doing wrong. Our job is to, convince, is to, is to show ourselves what Jesus did right. And through that, he is glorified. He is magnified. We as Christians, Big C Church, we're really known for what we're against and not what we're for. And doesn't that seem backwards compared to what we should be? We can't worry about anything else but being in the presence of God ourselves. And through that, the troubles will work themselves out. In Psalm 131, it says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Don't get so caught up in the world of information that you forget it can't consume you. You can't allow yourself to be so bothered and so upset and so consumed that it affects your every single day. Because when you do that, you're allowing negative information to fill your heart. And guess what we already said, discussed? You're building up a treasure of negative information inside of your heart that's going to lead to your soul being exhausted. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. Come to me, all who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart. You will find rest for your souls. We do so much talking, am I right? We don't know when to, to shut our mouths, whether that be in a conversation one-on-one -on -one or even just our prayer life. In, uh, in, in 1 Samuel, Samuel is getting his first call from God. And so he's asleep and he hears this person saying, Samuel, Samuel. And so he wakes up, he goes to his master. He goes, yes, master, you called me. And he goes, I didn't call you, go back to sleep. Happens two or three times. But then his master realizes what's happening. He goes, oh, God's calling you. The next time you hear your name being called, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Don't speak, Lord, for your servant is talking. He's listening. In Psalm 46, verse 10, you read, be still and know that I am God. So if we're saying, God, take my yoke because it's too much for me, it's not, it's not, it's not too much for you. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then also be still and know that I'm God. Why are we missing this aspect of the Spirit speaking to us in the quiet? Because we love noise. So I have this right here. I made a huge mess this first round, so let's see if I can do better. What is this? A sponge, right? What are sponges used for? Washing dishes, you got, you got sponges that are used to clean things, maybe it's anything. But we take our life right here. We take the things that we think make us good, make us perfect, make us right, make us wrong. And then we take what our strengths we think are. And now we're trying to clean every single aspect with a dry sponge. And yet I can push harder. And some of it might come off, but for the most part, it's, nothing's going to happen. 
you guys are getting blinded by the mirror. I'm really sorry. These lights are like lights from heaven. I have to deal with them. I, sorry. And yet, we read all these different verses about being filled with something. I made a mess on purpose, trust me. And yet, we talk so much about being filled. And now, now all the things that seem to be foundational for us start to come a little bit more clean. But here's the problem, is while we're allowing ourselves to be filled, sometimes it leaves a mess, am I right? Sometimes we have to take more water, and we have to keep working at it. See, we define rest as inaction. Sometimes we define rest as things that we do not have to do. And yet the only way that we're going to find rest is by working with the Spirit. The only way that we truly find what rest looks like is whenever we keep dumping ourselves in the water and we continue to work at it because sometimes the best thing to do is to flip it over and tell ourselves, it's not about me working by myself as a dry sponge but it's about me working with the Spirit and what he's telling me to do. In Ezekiel chapter 36, it says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You see, sorry, a fresh. Our heart of stone is a dry sponge. These are the things that we tell ourselves, I'm not going to listen to anything else. I'm instead, I'm going to fix my life the way that I want to. But eventually, more things add up and it continues to get dirty because sin's real. Evil exists. And yet God's saying, I want to give you a new heart and a new mind. Essentially, I want to give you water to clean your life with. But it takes action on your part too. In Romans chapter 8, it says this, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Resting is not the same as an action. You have to work with it. You have to walk in step with the Spirit. You have to walk with it because in that, you make basically the perfect team. Which sounds weird, right? But if we believe we're in a relationship, don't you think that you're a better person with your spouse than you are alone? Or maybe you've been called to, to being single your whole life. Guess what? That doesn't mean that you're imperfect at all. Matter of fact, God can use you more. See, life is meant to be done together, but if we think it's with people, people will let us down. People will always let you down because they're not perfect. So why do we try to find happiness and fulfillment in things that could let us down and not in the spirit that dwells inside of every Christian? inside of every single person who lives here, always walk with the Spirit. In John chapter 7, verse 38, it says, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And in Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The hard part is there are two or three of those for every single person who seem a lot harder than any of the other ones. 
So I think the whole rest doesn't equal inaction is accurate. It takes effort. Just because you're not good at it doesn't mean that you shouldn't practice it and do better with it. Because when you walk with the Spirit, it changes your perception. I told you I hated cleaning. Never cleaned my house. I had to clean whatever my mom told me to do, but I never did anything extra. And it wasn't until I found Julie that she basically, she did not force me. Let me just say that. But I wanted to show her love by doing something that was against my nature. And every single person in here has done that for somebody somewhere. Where you've went against your nature, where you've went against, went against your strengths because you wanted to show somebody that you love them. Why do you think you get up so early to play with your kids, even when you don't want to? Why do you think you go to a job that you actually enjoy and do work that you don't want to do? Because you want to show Christ in everything that we do. It's meant to be us. And yet it takes practice on our behalf. We try so hard to be Christian, and yet it leaves us feeling empty. We feel almost less full. Stop trying to convince yourself that you're a Christian and let your life be an example of just walking with the Spirit. And through that, God is shining. I'm going to read this here in Ephesians chapter 3. And if you guys, would, would you just stand and read this with me? I mean, you don't have to read it like in unison. I'm just going to read it. I just want you guys to, to listen to it. Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints that what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him who is able to do abundantly more than what you think and what you know. Our minds are finite. They are not everlasting. We have so little compared to what is eternal. So don't live for what you think you know. Don't live for what you think is right. Live for what God tells you is right. And through that, the Spirit speaks. Through the love of Christ that was bled out on the cross for you, the Spirit speaks. I'm going to pray. And the band's going to sing one last song. And if you have anything that you want to talk about, pray about, Joel's going to be over here. I'll be on your right. And, and, and please, realize that rest in the quiet is one of the hardest things to do. And I believe it's a biblical command for us. Because how can we hear what God is saying if we're doing all the talking? How can we know what God's trying to tell us if all we want to do is tell him what we need? And do both. Tell him. We are were, we were meant to present our requests. But sometimes, be still and sit at the feet of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today for the things that you give us, for the world that we have, and for, for things that we don't understand. God, I'm constantly reminded how you take imperfect people to talk about you. 
and we feel so unworthy. We feel maybe like we can't do it. And yet, God, when I look in Scripture, you used a murderer. You used somebody who persecuted Christians their whole life. You used a tax collector. You used sinners. You used the weakest people in the weakest clan on the weakest family to spread the news of Jesus that was to come. And who else can say that but you? So God, in all honesty, break us. Make us weak. Make us feel like we have nothing left but you. Because the moment we we walk away and we tell ourselves that we did something good, God, forgive us. Because it's never about what we do, it's about what you did long ago. Father, thank you for everything. In your name I pray.